Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Hi, this is Julissa Arce, and you are listening to Cricket Conversations. Today's cricket topic is Wall Street, and I don't mean any pun by it at all whatsoever. Here to discuss Wall Street with us is Cenk Uygur, the co-founder of The Young Turks. The problem at its core actually isn't about finance. It's about money in politics. Because as long as you allow for private financing of elections, the politicians will work for private interests. I met Cenk in line to a DNC party a couple of years ago, and we started having this conversation. First of all, I was like all fangirl and left my place in line and went to the back of the line to introduce myself to him. And we started having this conversation about Wall Street because I worked on Wall Street for 10 years. And even when I was working on Wall Street, I thought the regulations that were enacted were not the right regulations. And I'm not anti-regulation. I just thought that the regulations were wrong and didn't actually fix anything. My last job on Wall Street was to figure out how to do business within the context of Don Frank, basically to find loopholes. And I found a lot of them. So I am really excited to have Jenk with us today. I'm actually super pumped to have you here because I don't know if you remember this, but we started talking about Wall Street when we were in line to get into some DNC after party. I totally remember. And uh, we actually like left the, the line because it was like too long and um, you and a couple other people, we like grabbed a drink and we're talking about, about Wall Street. So yeah. I can't. You worked I, at Goldman, right? Yeah, I used to work at Goldman. Yeah. Uh, I was there for, for six years and then four years at Merrill Lynch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think... It, I can't, I can't actually think of a better time to have this finish this conversation or continue to have this conversation about Wall Street because I think there is this looming question surrounding the Democratic Party. And that question is how far away from Wall Street should Democrats stay? Right? Uh, I was going to say 1,000 miles, but actually that's probably not far enough uh, because you can go 3,000 miles and hit California. Keep going. Keep going. Go all the way to Hawaii. Um, so... Look, uh, I am, I think, in the middle of a lot of different folks who um, have wide disagreements here. So I don't have a, a stereotypical position. Here, here's what I mean by that. So is there so, – so now some folks have gone so far left that they're like down with the banks. No, no, there's no down with the banks. You need banks. Mm-hmm. You need financial institutions. Right. And if done right, uh, they're great. They help grow the economy. Um, so – in the old days, um, when they didn't want to charge interest, uh, you know, they had the usury laws in Christianity and Islam, and partly why they m- made the Jews uh, run the banks because they thought it was a dirty thing to charge interest, mm-hmm. and we'll make the Jews do it. And then, uh, then later they got bitter because if you charge interest, you'll make a lot of money. They're like, wait, why are the Jews making money? Hey, you idiots, you're the ones who told them to do it, made uh-huh. them do it, right? Yep. So the idea of running an economy without interest, as the Muslims and the Christians found out, is really stupid and totally can't work, okay? So on the other hand, 
totally unregulated Wall Street is insanity, as we learned right. in 2008 and 1929, and unfortunately, as we'll soon learn again. Right. Okay. So what what are the financial institutions that that you believe in? Because, by the way, I agree that there are certain functions that Wall Street plays that are important, mm-hmm. right? The people who want to buy a house, they can get a mortgage because Wall Street exists. Uh, mm-hmm. People who want to grow their companies can raise capital to grow their company, right? I think at, the, at a very basic level, Wall Street exists to connect people who need money with people who have money, right? To connect investors with people who want loans and with people who, and companies who want to grow. So what are the financial institutions that that you believe in? Yeah. So I think that, first of all, I, I believe in finance, period. And so then I think the real question is, how do you structure it so it is most effective for society overall? And and so that's a great question, a complicated question, and one I like. I came on the show to dive into, right? right. So so let's uh, start uh, on one side. So just like you said, I if if we didn't have these institutions to provide loans, I wouldn't have a car. I wouldn't have a house. Uh, maybe I could afford a car, but then we'd have to live in the car, uh, <laughs> uh, and and I wouldn't even have a company because well, in I LA need... parking's so expensive. Might not be able to. <laughs> yeah, that's that. true. That's true as well. And I certainly couldn't have a company because you need loans uh, to start a company like we did with the Young Turks. Right. So now on the other end of the spectrum, and we'll zero in on the the equilibrium that we have to hit. On the other end of the spectrum, um, you need to put limits on leverage. If you don't do that, you will have out-of-control gambling. And that's basically what happened in 2008. It was not the the housing market that was the problem. That was the trigger. It wasn't the gun. The gun was the derivatives. The fact that they were gambling on the housing industry with out-of-control levered derivatives is what collapsed the economy. So if you put derivatives and let them put endless leverage on any instrument. It doesn't have to be housing at all. It could be educational loans. It could be uh, municipal loans. It, it doesn't really matter. It just be, creates an out-of-control casino. And then you add the element of, hey, by the way, it's not your money. You could take depositors' money mm-hmm. from the banks that you run and gamble with their money. And then you add the element of, don't worry, you're likely to be bailed out. Right. Okay. You have set up a, a time bomb. And that's a time bomb that we had earlier. The Obama administration, through Dodd-Frank, diffused some parts of the bomb, but it's still ticking. Mm-hmm. And now the Trump administration is trying to put the bomb back together in its, yeah. in its entirety. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and even though Obama, Dodd-Frank was weak tea, uh, it, was, it did not get the job done. That bomb would explode anyway. We need to get way tougher on the regulations. Yeah. So I th- so part of part of what happened in in 2008 uh one could argue happened because uh Glass-Steagall wasn't around anymore, right? Because mm-hmm. we were talking about yes. deposits, right? The, mm-hmm. the reason we were the reason we had to bail out the banks was because they were deposit-bearing institutions, right? They yes. had people's American people's monies and if we don't bail them out Really, who we're bailing out is yes, the bank, but through the bank, making sure that people uh, don't lose their their deposits, right? Uh, but when I think about when I think about a bank like Wells Fargo as an example, and then a bank like Goldman Sachs, I think a lot of times we coupled these two types of institutions together, and we just call them all Wall Street, right? But I I would argue that 
the business model that Wells Fargo has versus the business model that Goldman Sachs has, they're very different, right? Goldman, you can't, Goldman doesn't have branches around the country. Uh, you know, I can't have my account managed at Goldman now that I'm not an employee anymore. Uh, so they, they, they do very different, they do very different things, right? Um, and then you have banks like, for example, M&T Bank, which is a regional bank in a regional bank in the Northeast. And all they do is they take deposits and they make loans Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. Northeast region. But they are subject to the same regulations as Goldman Sachs, as Wells Fargo, as Bank of America. And the the CEO of M&T Bank has come out and said many, many times, these regulations are killing us, right? We have have more than $50 billion in assets, which makes us subject to the Dodd-Frank regulations, but we're not the same kind of business. We're, we're, we're not the same kind of business model as Goldman Sachs. So what, what are those regulations that, that should be in place so that we don't hurt the smaller regional banks that all they want to do is take deposits and make loans, but we are actually properly regulated in places like Goldman Sachs? Because you said Dodd-Frank is, is, is weak tea, and I agree, but I almost think it's the wrong kind of tea. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. Like it makes it really complicated and cumbersome for smaller regional banks to do business. And to your point, it doesn't actually regulate Wall Street in the way that it should. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly right. I think the Obama administration, unfortunately, had um, a tendency to want to overcomplicate things. And some of it was necessary and important. If you're going to uh, do the Affordable Care Act, you, in essence, can't do it without a mandate. Uh, but on the other hand, there was a much easier and better way to do it. Just let us buy into Medicare. And that's way easier without the intricate labyrinth of regulations that they set up for healthcare. And I think similar points can be made about Dodd-Frank. So some issues are black and white and others are are not at all black and white. A black and white issue is Glass-Steagall. And it's something that everybody can understand really easy if you stop calling it Glass-Steagall and explain it this way. right. I think there's nothing wrong with an investment bank. You know, folks need to find a way to put their money to work. And an investment bank does that. And they find different outlets for that money that right. and, and get interest, et cetera, and all the things that we've talked about that are necessary for the movement of the economy. And you also need a bank where people can deposit their money. But under no circumstances should those commingle. Because if you allow the investment bank side of a bank to take the depositor money and gamble with it, they will lose it. (laughs) It's a guarantee because they will be, you'll have created an incentive structure for them to gamble with other people's money. So if you go to uh, Atlantic City or if that still exists or Vegas, (laughs) right? And somebody says, here's a hundred dollars. You keep the upside. Don't worry about the downside. You'll have incentivized them to take greater risk because the greater risk they take, the bigger the upside that they get to keep. And the downside for them is zero. So, but is it zero though? Because don't I mean, aren't aren't banks still? Don't they still want to make money for themselves and for their investors? Like they will get penalized for losing that money. No, that leads to another problem, which is the, actually the hardest thing to fix, which is the structure of public corporations. Because once you set up a public corporation, the executives only care about their bonuses. 
okay? And they don't actually care about the shareholders. They'll make a lot of noise about caring about the shareholders. They don't, they definitely don't care about the citizens or the people who put money into their bank. Those are laughable propositions. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, let's just be really clear about something, right? When you go to work on Wall Street, you're not going to work on Wall Street because you want to change the world. You go to world, yes. Wall Street because you want to make money. I mean, Pure. I went to go work at Wall Street because I had this idea that if I made enough money, I could somehow uh, solve my immigration problems and issues. Right, mm-hmm. and and of course that's a whole that's a whole another crooked conversation. Our immigration system, but I didn't go to Wall Street to try to change the world. Right, I left Wall Street because I didn't want to keep making rich people slightly richer. Right. But that's why you go to Wall Street. Yeah. So let me step back a second here. And I know that there's a lot of moving parts of this conversation. And I'm trying to make it as simple as I possibly can. So so during the 2008 crash, an amazing fact is none of the private banks went under. None. All the banks that were public corporations were under threat of going under. Okay. The reason is when it's a private bank, it's actually the partner's money. Right. They are not going to take oversized risks with their own money. Right. When it is a public corporation, it's not the executive's money. The executives get paid on how well they perform. They don't get the money removed from them later. There's no clawbacks in reality right. if it crashes later. So they are incentivized to create as much upside as possible for themselves and the downside is for other people to deal with at another time, especially when you add in the element of quarterly reports. Mm-hmm. So everything is short-term driven. What's my bonus this year? How am I doing this quarter? And and what I've heard from a lot of executives, and not just in banking, also in media, is, hey, if this thing goes south three years later, what do I care? I'm not even here. Yeah. Nine out of ten times, I'm not here three years later, five years later, ten years later. All I care about is what is the bonus today, if they're being honest, okay, salaries and bonuses and whatever they're going to get back from the stock that they own. So that creates another perverse incentive. So when you combine that with you don't care about long-term shareholder value and and who actually owns the company, you don't care about the depositors, um, and now go take risk. (laughs) What are they going to do? They're going to take outsized risks and they're going to crash because whenever you take outsized risk, a crash is only a matter of time. It is a guarantee. Write it down in stone. It will crash. Any gambler knows it. Anyone in finance knows it. Outsized risk equals eventual crash. Yeah, I found oh. out in Vegas. <laughs> That's right. It's only a matter of time and and the magnitude of the crash. Yeah. So you must reinstitute Glass-Steagall so that they're not allowed to gamble with depositor money. They're fixing the the nature of public corporations. That is a beast. Yeah, I mean, I, that, and I think that's so. Okay, so first we should we should keep commercial banks and investment banks separate. No I, question. I that, completely no agree with that. That yeah. that should happen. Um, but what else? Like, what are other regulations that that? So yeah, let, let's talk about what's going on right now, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, during the Obama administration. We could we could sort of discuss whether it was enough regulation, whether it was the right regulations, but at least there were there were regulations that were being instituted to prevent 2008 from happening again, to prevent the the sort of the greediness from getting out of hand, and to try to prevent another crash. Right now, not only are we trying to roll back 
the dot frank and the regulations under dot frank under the Trump administration, right? We just had uh, recently a law that passed that makes it harder for people to take class action against banks. Um, they are going after the consumer. Um, What's the name of protection the protection bureau? Yeah, Financial protection bureau, protection. right? Saying that it's it's actually hurting people more than it's than it's helping them. Um, so what what are other regulations yeah. that we could try to implement, especially during an administration that is actually trying to roll back and go the other way? Yeah. So let me lay out a spectrum of of regulation that's sensible. Um, so there's some stuff on the easy side, like reinstituting Glass Steagall. There's stuff. Uh, all the way on the other end of the spectrum of what do you do with the the riddle of public corporations and their wrong incentive structure. So that's very hard. That's the other end of the spectrum. So now let's go back to the easy side. Glass-Steagall is easy. And by the way, it's a good guide for you. If someone's against Glass-Steagall and they claim to know about finance, they are dishonest. Yeah. Okay. So if any Republican, and by the way, some Democratic politicians, including Bill Clinton, by the way, who repealed Glass-Steagall in the first place, Glass-Steagall is from the Roosevelt era, Clinton, along with Phil Graham, who is the most dishonest person who I randomly ran into at an airport the other day, um, um, repealed Glass-Steagall. So it was the Republicans and Democrats working together, okay? And and Obama was not even able to bring it back. And that was part of Volcker's frustration and why he pulled out of the process of Dodd-Frank. It's right. like, you guys aren't even bringing back Glass-Steagall. This is a right, dishonest process. Right, right, right. right? And by the, by the time that, that Bill Clinton repealed Glass-Steagall, uh, it kind of— it kind of existed in uh, in writing, but in practice, they were it didn't away anymore, it. right? Because yeah. there were so many loopholes in the original legislation. Uh, and then you had banks sort of taking advantage of those loopholes. Their whole argument was, if we combine commercial banks and investment banks, we're actually mitigating the risk because now regional banks can uh, can sort of spread their wings and not have risk only one geographical area. Banks can access capital at at cheaper rates, which is which is good. Uh, that those were their their arguments, yeah. right? And the big argument was glass steel doesn't really exist anymore. So why don't we just get rid of it? Okay. If we're gonna bring it back, we gotta bring it back in a way that doesn't have this loophole so that Twenty years from now, we're not back where we are today. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all the arguments you just laid out that the bankers used to use for getting rid of Glass Steagall are, let me summarize it in this way: complete and utter horse crap. <laughs> yeah, so, I'm just, I'm just saying what they said. I'm not. No, agreeing. I know, no, I know that, and, and I know you're not making that position. You're clarifying that position. So the other side's always going to make a counter argument. You just have to see if it makes any sense at all, right. and. And they'll say the number one argument that banks usually use to confuse people is we need this for financial innovation. When you hear financial innovation, run for the hills, do the opposite. Okay, that means we're (laughs) going to take wild risks and try to make more money. Don't, don't listen to that. So like I said, a guidepost is if they want to gamble with your deposit or money, they're dishonest. And all the politicians who support that, which unfortunately is plentiful, about 75% of Congress who get paid by the banks go, oh, yeah, gambling with depositor money sounds like a great idea. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's number one. Number two in in relatively easy regulations is leverage. You have to limit leverage. And actually, the Europeans have forced us to get pretty good on this. And that is one of the fixes that is a reason why they the – financial sector has not blown up recently and it it has delayed the timeline for the explosion thank god 
and maybe we can fix things before the explosion. But they used to take 40 to 1 uh, leverage risks at mm-hmm. Lehman. Obviously unsustainable. The minute you've got a loss over 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 2.5%, which is incredibly likely, uh, you're in a world of trouble and get into a vicious cycle you can't recover from. Mm-hmm. So 8 to 1 is beginning to, you know, you're beginning to have a conversation. I think that's roughly where we are here. I wouldn't go higher than eight to one. Uh, I I could go lower. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. so leverage is a huge issue because the the more and if you guys just to clarify for the audience, a leverage means if I have a dollar and I could bet a lever up to forty to one, that means I could bet forty dollars. I can make forty dollars worth of bets in this case derivatives that they did back in two thousand and eight uh, for with, with my one dollar. But if you then lose. $5 and you're down to 35, you actually don't have the money, right? right? You right. only have $1. Right. right. And you do that would, on a macro have, scale. You would have to put more. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you do have to have some sort of like money in the margin in margin account to like mm-hmm. to like bet against, but it's still going to be minimal compared to the $40 that you bet. Exactly. Right? And so you want to increase the money that they have in the margin account, you want to increase you want to decrease the leverage so that the gambling doesn't get out of control and they have the money to pay if they start losing. If they don't have the money to pay when they start losing, then we hit the vicious cycle. Then Lehman can't pay. And then all of a sudden Goldman can't pay and JP Morgan can't pay. And JP Morgan might not have even started the mess, but they're involved in the mess. Mm -hmm. And you started a a domino effect that you can't recover from. So leverage is enormously important and a relatively easy, straightforward piece of regulation. Um, the third one that's easy is don't let them do anything off the books. So, and again, they'll have a thousand excuses for why they need to go off the books. And so, and Lehman did and Bear Stearns did. They're like, well, I mean, sure, on the books, we have to do this. But off the books, this is the way to actually make things run. No, that's the way where you, where you make more money by gambling more. And when that crashes, I got news for you. It's going to go on the books because right. it's real money, Right. If you're going to do anything legitimate, there's no such thing as off the books. And once they start cheating around those corners, again, tick, 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 before we explode. Um, So those are the three easiest. Then as you move down the spectrum, yes, you know, uh, the things that they're all dismantling now. And almost every, not almost, every single thing the Trump administration has proposed is pro-banker, pro-risk, pro-them making money in the short run and endangering the global economy in the long run. So now, you know, we get to the one that you mentioned. Oh, where, where consumers won't be able oh. to take class action yeah, class action. against so, banks. Right. As long as they as long as they disclose it in, you know, when you signed, which nobody reads them, right? And you signed <laughs> opening an account at Bank of America or Wells Fargo or wherever. And as part of their, as part of what I'm signing, I'm saying I won't take class action lawsuit against you, basically. Right. So class action lawsuit, good example, right? It is less structural, uh, but it is still important. Um, so he, here's what I mean by that. So great example of why you need class action lawsuits is uh, in before the Supreme Court in 2011 and 2013 uh, said that no arbitration is awesome and let corporations do arbitration to no end and you can't do class action in essence anymore with the financial industry, which they're now codifying uh, through the law. Uh, In 2009, the banks were ripping off. So pre those decisions, the banks were ripping off their customers by uh, on overdraft. Yeah. 
And and they were, and it's an absolute fact, and it was proven in court. And they did a class action lawsuit, and they got a billion dollars back for consumers because they had actually been robbed by the banks. Right. And it was adjudicated that way. And they said, yes, you're right. You were robbed. They owe you a billion dollars. Yeah, like okay. if you if you had like an overdraw fee for $35, and the next day they could charge another $35 because you were overdrawn two days in a row, when it's like, well, you already charged me the $35 for being overdrawn. And not only that, they would uh, they would— time the way that they did the transactions to get you to overdraw quicker. Right. They actually could have paid off the dollar and the $5 with the money you had in the account, but they'll take the biggest check, the one for $100, make sure you're overdrawn so they charge you $35 for, for the next dollar the, check, right. the $5 check, etc. Even though the dollar and the $5 ones came in earlier. Right. So it was intended to screw you over and the court said, yes, it was. They designed it to screw over their own customers. And hence, they had to pay out a billion dollars to back to their customers who were robbed. Okay? Yep. People like to be polite about it. No, it was a bank robbery, but it was in reverse. You put your money right. in the bank and they robbed it. So um, now they take away the class action lawsuits and you have to go to arbitration. Well, they did a study uh, since those decisions, I think 2014 to 2016, two-year study, there's 78 cases where arbitration won, uh, where the customer won the ar arbitration, and they got a whopping number of $400,000 back. Yeah. So in other words, they just eliminated that remedy for people who were ripped off by their banks almost completely. Because once you can't do a class action lawsuit, do you have enough money to hire a high-powered lawyer to meet right. I mean, to if you're getting with overdrawn, the banker lawyers? Right. If you're getting overdrawn because you just charged a dollar for your tomatoes, <laughs> you're not going to have the money to go hire a, a lawyer. That's right. right. So, That's exactly right. And what they're literally doing is they're splitting us up so that we can't fight back. If in a class action lawsuit, a bunch of people get together and can have the leverage to be able to fight back against an institution like a giant bank. When they go to force you to go to arbitration one by one, they have taken your collective power away. Oh, yeah, that's right. It is a way of fixing the system, rigging the system on behalf of multinational corporations. Against American citizens. That's exactly right. And so Trump, who claimed to drain the swamp, I mean, it was a joke all along. It was a scam from day one. So when he does something like this, he reveals his hand. For people who know uh, what they're talking about in finance, they go, oh, okay. No, he meant build a swamp and make it swampier and, and make sure that you enable corruption. Because that bill is corruption 101. Yep. Now, but it's still the reason why I have it in the middle and not as part of the fundamental changes that you need is because it's for guys who got ripped off a hundred bucks at a time, right? Or a couple hundred bucks at a time. Whereas the other changes are about the institutions and whether they collapse or don't collapse. Right. So whether, you know, you get ripped off even collectively a billion or $2 billion, we could still survive. There's no reason to do it, right, right? Right, right, right. But, but it's not a structural issue. And the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which they get so mad at, the Republicans and the crooked uh, politicians and the bankers, et cetera, it's chipping away at the edges and bless their hearts. And I, and I love that they're fighting back to get you your $35 at a time. But they're actually not really proposing structural changes. Right. And even that, the banks can't tolerate. They want every $35 by hook or by crook. And, mm -hmm. and so the whole system, uh, ironically, Trump was right on the campaign. The whole system is rigged. He just— He's just helping he just to didn't rig mind it even it. Yeah. more. He, what he was doing was 
pointing to something that people are justifiably angry about in order to trick them to get their votes. Uh, he didn't mean that he was going to actually fix it. He he was he's now helping the bankers rig it even further. Yep, yep. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Honey. What? You mean, are we sponsored like, by bees? Yeah. <laughs> I'm interested to hear what Honey is. Do you want to save money while shopping online for last-minute holiday gifts? Yes, the answer is yes. Then let me tell you about an online shopping hack from a startup that I recently discovered called Honey. <laughs> Please, go on. Go on. Honey was founded by two friends who were frustrated by the lack of price transparency from online shopping. Jeff so they, and Andy? No, Jeff and Andy had nothing to do with this. Jeff and Andy Manafort had nothing to do with this. <laughs> they built a blade factory. <laughs> so they, so anyway, these two buddies, they started Honey to help others find the best possible prices online. Honey is a free browser extension available on Chrome, Firefox, and Safari that effortlessly saves you time and money while shopping online at tens of thousands of stores. While you shop, Honey will instantly find every working coupon code on the internet Whoa. and then automatically apply the best discount to your cart at checkout. I like that. Time Magazine calls it basically free money. <laughs> and the Koch brothers own them now, so you know you can trust it. Honey will show you if you can get the same. I don't know if they, I don't think the sale is final. Honey, I don't even know if it's real. Honey will show you if you can get the same item for less from a different seller, automatically factoring in all variables such as item price, shipping costs, prime status, and more. So you always get the best price. Honey can also show you the price trend of any item so you can decide when it is the best time to buy. Black Friday and Cyber I'm Monday. I'm going to use this. You should use it. Be a fool not to. Black Friday and Cyber Monday may be over, but you can still save money this Christmas with Honey. Honey has already saved hundreds of millions of dollars for more than 6 million members. It's completely free to join, and it'll literally only take you two clicks to start saving money. Join Honey today for free at joinhoney.com slash crookedconvos. That's joinhoney.com slash crookedconvos. And now we're back with Jenk from the Young Turks. What's always interesting to me is uh, when, when I think about the financial crisis and rightly so, everyone is upset because nobody went to jail, right? It's like mm -hmm. nobody went to jail. Like how how is it possible that none of these people went to jail? But somebody did go to jail and it was uh, Madoff, Bernie Madoff, right? Mm -hmm. But I think about why. Like he was fucking with rich people's money. Exactly. Right? And that's why he went to jail. Exactly if it was like, right. you know, my money or our money, it's like, who cares? Those people don't have to go to jail. So I'll give you an example from another field that illustrates what you're talking about. Uh, so Diane Feinstein is uh, loves warrantless wiretapping. She's a hawk when it comes to uh, let's snoop in on private American citizens uh, exchanges. She loves it, has no problem with it, has enabled the CIA to do that over and over and the NSA, right? But then the CIA and the Senate had a disagreement on an issue. And it turned out the CIA was snooping in on the Senate. Hmm. Then Diane Feinstein turned around and was furious. Right. No, no, no. Robbery and taking away of people's rights is for the little people, not for the elites. Bernie Madoff made a terrible mistake. He ripped off rich people. Right, exactly. Okay. And the elites will not stand for that. And and I say this on the Young Turks as a guidepost for, for you guys to be able to judge this on your own if you're in the audience, hmm. right? Anytime somebody uh, rips off the elite, they will be crushed. If they rip off middle class and poor people, they'll get to do it all day long. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's tough because you know, when I think about um, 
like I always talk to my friends and and anybody that I can talk to about like, oh, it's so important that you start saving, right? Like my little brother just started working. Uh, and I'm like, you need to start putting money into your 401k, like your first paycheck, right? Because you want to be able to retire and like you want to be able to, uh, every day that you're not putting money in your 401k is like, 10 days that you can't retire. Like, you know, I'm so, I'm so, I'm such a good advocate for people to be financially responsible in their own lives and, and, uh, and to save and to invest. And, and I don't think that investing should just be for people who have tons of money, right? Like I mm-hmm. think people who have, who, who want to retire one day, like should invest. But then it's so hard to have that conversation with people where, the, when there is such little faith in, in our financial institutions. And so people are afraid that if I invest in my 401k or like, where can I invest? Where can I put my money so that one day I can retire? And I'm not just, we live in a really low interest rate environment. And I I don't see a scenario where that changes anytime soon, right? People are going to continue to make half a percent, if even that, on their savings account because Trump is going to, higher. He's going to have someone at the Fed who is going to keep rates low so that banks can continue to do what they're doing. It's not going to change. So like, how do we, how do we balance those two things of like, it's important for people to save. I think we can agree on that. It's important for people to, to invest. Uh, but how how do we balance that? Because people might even say, you know what, like I don't want to be part of that system. And if I invest, that means I am I am getting into bed with these people. But it's like, no, you no. have to invest. Like you have to save because if you don't, you're not going to retire. So let me tackle that in a couple of different ways. First of all, I don't. There's another law that the Republicans are pushing right now about 401 case, mm-hmm. and it's another robbery of the middle class. So. You're allowed to put up $18,000 a year into your 401k, uh, to uh, which would be tax-free for the moment being, yep. right? That's what's great about a 401k. And that's great because it helps the middle class because it helps you to save for your retirement just like you were saying, Jalissa, right? So the Republicans are now saying, no, we're going to reduce that from 18000 to I think about 2400 2400 So – that is a gigantic tax increase yep. for the middle class yep. because now the extra 15500 roughly uh, are going to be taxed rather than untaxed. Yeah. And it, A, discourages saving, which is the exact opposite of what we want, yep. and B, increases taxes on the middle class. Why are they doing it? Because they have to cut a couple of trillion dollars in taxes for the very rich. Right. So- and they'll go around saying, no, no, we're doing tax cuts for everybody. Not true. Yep. And in fact, they're also attacking the earned income tax credit, which will lead to, in essence, an effective tax increase on the working poor. So they're actually redistributing the wealth, yep. but they're doing it to the top. It is class warfare. They're waging class warfare on the middle class and the poor, and they're taking money from you guys and moving it to the top 1%. It is a robbery unlike anything we've ever seen. Yep. They're absolutely brazen about it. Yep. Now- how do we regain the faith of the American people into financial institutions enough for them to do the right thing, which is to save? Well, you've got to fix the problem at its core. The problem at its core actually isn't about finance. It's about money in politics. Because as long as you allow for private financing of elections, the politicians will work for private interests. Right. If you allow J.P. Morgan Chase and Goldman Sachs 
to contribute to politicians millions of dollars and on a macro level, billions of dollars at a time, they will do the logical business decision of buying all of our representatives because we're letting them. Right. We're saying, yeah, you could privately finance the elections. So private interests come in and buy all our politicians. We've legalized bribery. That is the very first thing you have to stop. You have to have public financing so they serve the public interest. And so once you have that, then you can begin to have honest politicians who look out for us rather than the people who privately finance their elections. Okay. So Wall Street money out of politics. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I agree with that. Um, Question for you. So we all know how much shit Hillary Clinton got because she gave speeches on Wall Street, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, everybody was like, why did you do that? You know, I was among uh, them. there is no way that you could be, um, uh, that you that you could do anything against Wall Street because you went and spoke to them. I mean, my, my personal view was like, girl, get you money. That's <laughs> how I thought about it. And, you know, same thing with Barack Obama, right? Like he mm-hmm. just he just spoke at Northern Trust and and at uh, Cantor and uh, at Carlyle Group, and he made like I think something like over north of one million dollars. And mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders and others came out and said that was that was a wrong thing to do. Like he should, even though he's like not, he can't run for president again, mm-hmm. right? Like yes, he's still an influential figure in the Democratic Party, um, but like he's got to make money. Right. And no, Wall Street and so, Wall Street. So 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 by the way, I am giving a speech on Wall Street in a in a couple of weeks as part of like their inspiring series at, at this mm-hmm. firm. And I know that if I not that I'm going to, but ev- if I ever like 20 years from now or something run for office, I know somebody is gonna be like, look at her. She gave a speech on Wall Street. I got to pay my rent. No, no. But, Jalissa, your situation is 100% different. And so let me explain the the three different scenarios. So uh, there's the regular person, you, me, uh, here I'll give you a conservative example. Ben Shapiro, conservative. He gets paid a lot of money to speak on college campuses, $20,000 at a time. That's a lot of money for a regular person, right? And so, um, okay, that's how he makes his living. That's his Mm -hmm. income. He gives speeches. He's a so-called intellectual, but I'm, I'm trying to be <laughs> kind and fair, right? And and you have an expertise and they're paying for that expertise and, and that makes sense, okay? Now, so I'm not saying that no one should ever get paid for a speech. Of course not, right? That's the one extreme end of the spectrum. On the other hand, uh, and Obama's in the middle. Oh, not, look, Obama, what he's doing, I think, is slightly wrong. He, one, he doesn't need the money. I don't, I, when I say he does, uh, you say he's got to get paid, I say no. I don't mean he shouldn't make any money. His book deal, I think, is $60 million. So he should just be a tiny bit more careful about the optics and uh, and especially if he's going to influence politics going forward. He could still do it and he could take the extra million dollars for the speeches at, at the banks, et cetera, and it'll add up. And then, if he sh- and then if he turned around and said, look, I'm going to take some of that money, all that money. I don't even need it all. So a portion of that money – and I'm going to work so hard to get money out of politics, then I'd say, bless your heart, make more speeches, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, now Hillary is at the other end of the he spectrum. He is using some money to, to do like programs and, he and stuff some in Chicago and, stuff. and like build a yeah. library. and uh, he, The library is just about ego. I don't give a damn about his library. And all well, the politicians but, who just like, oh, look at my glorious library. Ay, ay, ay. Okay, but so, everybody has one. He should have one, too. Yeah, of course. I'm not saying Obama's the only one who shouldn't go with a library and his library should be a shack. I'm 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 saying like I'm not like overwhelmed with your charity 
your charitable efforts if your big effort is to get yourself a gigantic library. Uh, I think the money could be better used. But I'm nitpicking there. And he does do other charities and they are good. It's not the charities I would do, but that's whatever. So that's why I have him in the middle. Like, it's fine. He could do those. I wish he directed it better. I wish he the optics were a little bit better. But that's not that important. What's important is Hillary. There, I if, if I understand you right, I totally disagree with you, okay? So... Hillary Clinton was going to run for president. Right. She knew that, and everybody knew. Yeah, that. and she and she has said that it was a mistake. She has. Yeah, she, has she said doesn't even believe that. It was the yeah. mistake of a lifetime. It led to us having this monster Donald Trump as president. Okay, oh. and she should have never been our candidate on that alone, let alone everything else. Okay, so we need. You, we're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna have to have another quick conversation to talk about why Hillary uh, was. It's. I, mean, I, I would say today, and 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 you know, I know we're not talking about this, but I would a hundred thousand levers to forty times <laughs> <laughs> okay. have Hillary Clinton as president mm-hmm. than Donald Trump. Of course, and and I would say part of the reason she isn't is because people uh, who supported Bernie in some cases. 12% of Bernie voters went on to vote for Trump. No. Like that's- 12% of Trump voters would have voted for Bernie. You have it completely backwards. Those people were never Democrats. They were so convinced that Bernie was honest that they were willing to vote for Bernie. But they were not ever going to give their vote to an establishment Democrat elitist like Hillary Clinton. They so just give it weren't. to Trump? I, I'm not, I don't agree with them. I voted for Hillary. I made a passionate case for which I still get a lot of crap for for voting for Hillary Clinton in the general election because we were out of choices. Bernie was yeah. not magically on the ticket. No one else was magically going to win. It was either going to be Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. And the whole, oh, it's lesser of two evils is still evil. I love you guys, but that is, yes, but it's still the lesser of two evils. And, yeah. and Trump was a monstrous evil. So and we're I, seeing that every day. And I was right. You should, you should, and as painful as it was, and it was personally painful for me to vote for Hillary Clinton, uh, you definitely should have voted for it because this guy could blow up the entire planet. Okay, right. So, but okay, let's go back to her speeches. Okay, but in, in the case of the speeches, she was taking direct money and putting it into her pocket from people who wanted to influence her if she was going to be president. She shouldn't have given speeches to uh, the meat industry. She shouldn't have given speeches to. Uh, foreign countries, anything that could have that the president could influence, which is almost anything. If you're going to run for president, don't give two hundred twenty five thousand dollars speeches. They're not paying you because they think you're brilliant. And boy, in that half an hour, you're going to give them something they never thought about, and they're going to get their money's worth. No, they're trying to buy you. That is a very specific fact scenario, right? Yeah. And in those facts, especially with the bankers, there's two giant problems. One, they are clearly trying to buy influence with you, and it is. Corruption 101, don't do it. Number two, the optics. Are you nuts? You're going to run for president and you just took all this money from the banks and put it into your pocket? That looks terrible, by the way, because it is terrible. And so the minute she made those speeches is the day she lost the election. That's why my camp was saying, she's already lost. You have to go to Bernie. He can actually win. He can flip that 12% to vote for Bernie instead of Trump. But nobody would listen because they were, no, Hillary, Hillary, Hillary. She's so listen. beloved. Right? A lot of people did I listen. I know, no. But real not enough people, people. Real people listened and we came close. No one in the establishment I am listened. a real person. 
Mm-hmm. And I voted for Hillary in the primary, and I voted for Hillary. Yeah, no, in- no, no. <laughs> so, so let me be clear, Julissa. Real people were torn on Hillary versus Bernie, and she won. She won the primary, right? I think it was name on on name recognition uh, almost entirely, but she won it. And there's no sour grapes in that side. We were trying to flip enough real people that, and and now I've talked to a lot of people who voted for Hillary who now say, ah, I should have done Bernie. And, and a lot of people who say, no, hell no, I was right. Hillary was the right candidate, et cetera, right? I'm, I, what I meant is we couldn't flip anyone in the establishment. So everyone in Washington and New York uh, that work in politics, finance, uh, TV, media, et cetera, they were all, I think it's fair to say they were 98% Hillary Clinton. Hmm. And, uh, and no matter how many polls you showed them, no matter how many facts you showed them, they're like, nope, Hillary, 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 <laughs> Hillary, Hillary, Hillary. Crooked <laughs> yeah. Conversations is brought to you by Indochino. Talk about your personal experience with Indochino. Oh, don't mind. We could do that, we could do that forever, <laughs> couldn't we? Do that for days. Um, look, as you know, we wore uh, blue Indochino suits to John's wedding. Now, I know that... I have referred to it in the past as heteronormative blue. Uh, and frankly, uh, that was um, unfair. It was a lovely blue, a rich and... and uh, it, was, it was a rich blue, some not navy. Even, some might even say daring, you know? Whoa. But uh, not me. Someone's, I'd say someone's was, feeling the holiday spirit. <laughs> feeling very, very generous as, the, uh, as to the blue. Uh, and they're awesome. It was a great thing. We had these Indochino suits. They were made to measure, which was very cool. And they we all looked really good. Um, and like, obviously, it's not hard for us to look good. But like, uh, Indochino has been featured in major publications, including GQ, Forbes, and Fast Company, and are now the largest made-to-measure menswear company. Here's how it works. Visit a showroom mm-hmm. or shop online at Indochino.com. Pick that your fabric. It, it is incredibly easy. Choose your customizations. For instance, you can get a peak lapel. You can get a notch lapel. You can get a thin lapel. You can get a normal lapel. Uh, no lapel. No, you'll need a lapel. You'll look ridiculous. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. You got to have a lapel. Uh, you can choose your buttons and you can choose the liner. So you can have like a very, you can, you know, you could have everything from a a, a madman style gray business suit to a, to a flamboyantly colored uh, 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 checker pattern with a cool liner. Did you have a Pod Save America George with the headphones pattern? I, I don't know that they had that swatch. Submit your measurements, place your order, and wait for it to arrive in just a few weeks. This week, our listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $359 at Indochino.com when entering Crooked Convo at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit, plus shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code Crooked Convo for any premium suit for just $359 and free shipping. An incredible deal for a suit that will fit you better than anything off the rack ever Ever could. Could. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Let's shift gears a little bit. So, I mean, we've talked a lot about the influence that Wall Street can have and, and why it's bad. And we've also talked about some of the good functions that 
that Wall Street plays, right? And, and one of those functions being that companies can access the capital markets, they can access investors' monies to grow their companies, right? We were just talking earlier about uh, how busy you you are, partly because you guys just raised uh, a round of funding for the Young Turks yep. via Wall Street or mm. because of Wall Street's functions, right? So Finance, and, and, yep. and 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 you've gotten a lot of criticism for it um, mm-hmm. in, in some ways, right? Because you're such an outspoken critic of Wall Street. And so and so now um you know some of the questions uh are how how let me take a step back. So in in 2011 um when Occupy Wall Street was was going on um I remember seeing an interview at, at that time I was actually still working mm-hmm. on Wall Street and 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 had to go through the Occupy Wall Street uh protesters to get to to the Goldman Sachs, so we building. might have walked past each other. We as, probably did as I was covering those protests. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I remember watching you on on. I, remember, I don't remember what channel it was, but I remember mm-hmm. watching you and yeah. you saying, you know, the media is not covering Wall Street, uh, Occupy Wall Street properly mm-hmm. because the media has Wall Street money. So here we are now. So how what how do you avoid making making those types of decisions where like you don't want to piss off your investors or maybe you don't care and at the same time covering issues that you want to cover um, in, in in the way that you would even if you didn't have that Wall Street yeah. money. So uh, this is where I, I get a little frustrated uh, because it is easy to demagogue on this issue. So I want to be really clear. Like we said in the, in the right in the beginning of the interview uh, or in this podcast, uh, is there a role for Wall Street and banks in the financial industry? Of course, you're right. cra- crazy. If you think there isn't, you'll crater the entire economy and it just can't work. And we've seen that throughout history. And the proper role for them is to fund businesses and homes and cars, just like we talked about in the mm-hmm. beginning, right? Uh, the proper f- role for them is not to fund politicians. If they yeah, fund politicians, they fix markets and they create monopolies and they rig the system. We cannot allow them to fund politicians. So I think that it is for unsophisticated folks, they go, oh, you hate Wall Street. No, I want them to do their job. I don't want them to bribe our politicians. So now a lot of those folks are right-wingers, so they don't understand what sophisticated means. (laughs) So they view the world in black and white. Either me like banks, me no like banks, right? No. So so in, in that sense... Uh, the inv- so the investors have put in money to t- Young Turks because it is a company. Right. And and they are hoping that we have enough of an audience, that we have won the crowd, and that, that is the, the it'll be the new global news leader in the next decade. I think they are absolutely right, obviously. right, <laughs> and, I th- and I think that's the right bet. And the reason they're making that bet is because we are actually serving the audience first. Now, in terms of your question about uh, the other media companies getting overly influenced. They're not overly influenced necessarily by their investors, but by their advertisers. And there's a really important distinction there. And that is something that is a legitimate issue for us because about half our money comes from advertisers too. And we are really vigilant about that. And and it is fair for people to make us vigilant, to to check us on that and say, Hey, are you are are we sure you're not selling out to your advertisers? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the distinction there is investors are doing it for a return. Uh, advertisers are revenue, right? The di- distinction between yep. I- investment money that is going to be returned to them and revenue money that you just simply keep, right? right. That's part of the business model of your yeah, and that company. is an important distinction to make. 
this this round of funding that you've raised is not like Wall Street's giving you this money, right? They're expecting, they're That's fully right. expecting to get that money back plus then yeah. some because you've you've done your job and you and and you continue to do amazing things, right? Revenue right. money is money that advertisers are paying you that goes to your bottom line. Right. So uh, sometimes people say like, oh, they gave you money. You think they're not expecting something in return? Just like you say about- They are. Yeah. No, money. they are. Yeah, that's <laughs> they're money like, back plus some. <laughs> exactly. They're expecting a rate of return. They, and they're not expecting a political favor. They're not expecting anything else. They're expecting- what every businessman expects, a rate of return. Hey, I'm going to make some money and maybe I'm going to make 10, 20% on top. And then eventually I'm going to take my money out at some point. Okay. And so that's how business works. Now on the revenue side though, that is where uh, influence does come into play. So let me give you an example from um, uh, the traditional media. And then I'll give you an example of how it could influence us. Right. So uh, for ABC and NBC, uh, Meet the Press and ABC this week, for a long time, uh, a company uh, did a a million dollars a year in advertising with them, and uh, they did not sell anything to the public, okay? So why did they, why were they doing advertising in these public-facing shows? It's just a waste of money if they're, if only the government is buying from them and, and, and no person, no uh, consumers buying from them. It's because they didn't want those shows to talk about them. They didn't want them to talk about, uh, for example, subsidies that go to corn, which is an outrageous subsidy that should yeah. not go. Okay. And that was part of the reason that they were doing that advertising. Another thing that influences uh, uh, MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, et cetera, and all of local news, more importantly, local news, is the money in politics goes where? Largely to TV advertising. Mm-hmm. So, TV never talks about the corruption because almost all that money eventually flows to them. Right. Now, if the Young Turks was getting a ton of political advertising, which is possible and maybe likely in the next round, we have to be super careful for us to not then turn around and go, oh, that money, that's revenue. I like that revenue. Uh, You know what? Maybe money in politics isn't so bad. Yeah. Then we're selling out, right? So that's what you have to make sure that we do right. And that we're not overly influenced by our advertisers. That's why I'm trying really hard to direct our company more into a subscription model where people pay $10 a month and they get the whole show ad-free because then that ties our financial interest to the audience rather to an outs- than to an outside company. Yep. So that way, if I'm not doing right by the audience, they'll stop subscribing to the Young Turks and we'll lose money and we'll go, wait, 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 let's make sure we're serving the audience. That's the right way to create the right financial incentives. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all of that. Um, one last question for you. Uh, if your kid wanted to go work on Wall Street, you'd, that'd be cool? Yeah. No, I. and this is going to sound really, really funny. <laughs> and I know that it sounds funny. Some of my best friends work on Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I have um, kids. Uh, kids. I mean, I'm not that old, but younger people, younger than me, who always want to ask me advice about how did I get this job on uh, at Goldman Sachs, right? And 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 there, people feel so conflicted about going to go work on Wall Street and making money because they somehow now feel like that's a bad thing. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm always um, encouraging and, and I try to be encouraging to them that if you want to go work on Wall Street and like that's your dream— Pursue it. Go for it, right? Because everybody else who's criticizing you about wanting to have that job isn't going to pay for your shit, right? Like, yeah. and, and, you know, for someone like me who grew up not having a lot of money, yep. going to work on Wall Street is probably one of the 
the few industries where I could make the amount of money that I made. And the reason why I can do what I'm doing now for the last two years is because I did have a lot of savings to sort of supplement while I get back on my feet and I start making enough money doing what I'm doing now, right? And so and so for someone like me, Wall Street was the the sort of the place where I could move up the socioeconomic level. And there was right? some degree of meritocracy to it too, that you work hard, you right. succeed, et cetera. So there's upsides. But the second part of what I was going to say is important, which is that you no problem with going, but be careful, right? Because it's easy to get reeled into doing something that isn't right, especially as the system is currently constituted. Mm-hmm. So um, hedge funds uh, catch a lot of flack, but I actually think hedge funds help calibrate the markets and in even buying long, sure, but also buying short. And it, it helps set the the. It's not necessarily super productive because you'd rather be creating wealth, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But but it still has a role to play, and I think it's an important role. But if you're working at a vulture fund, and the way they make money is they go get um, debt of Argentina with for pennies on the dollar, and then pulverize Argentina until they can get ten cents, twenty cents back, and that's their way of making money. Don't do that. Yeah, or don't go work at Mercer, which is yes uh, funding white supremacy. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, and so it, as much as I think working on Wall Street is fine, it is a little, it's, I'm underplaying, it's a landmine and you got to be careful, right? Mm-hmm. And and so there is an extra responsibility in that field to make sure that you're doing right. And I have friends who work there who could take taxes even in, at 15%, but they pay the 39% anyway yeah. to be overly careful, overly scrupulous, et cetera. Believe it or not, those guys do exist. Uh, but but there are. I also- always paid my taxes. Yeah, all of them. No, even no. I was on. Undo- I mean, this is, this is like a totally aside. But you know, I was undocumented, and like I worked on Wall Street with like fake papers, and and you know, I, I explain all of that. Don't think of me as a criminal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I and so sometimes I'll tweet out my W twos because people say to me that undocumented people don't pay taxes, and I'm like, I pay taxes. Here is my W-2 to prove it. Like, I paid so much taxes. And unfortunately, you actually, since you're undocumented, won't get a lot of that back. Yeah, no, I didn't get any of that. I mean, now I'm a citizen, but back then, yeah. Yeah, if if you hadn't become a citizen, you never would have gotten the payroll taxes back. Actually, you put into the money into the system and don't get it back. So in a lot of ways, undocumented people actually pay more taxes than than people who who are citizens. But yes, uh, so just be careful overall. Um, there's a lot of good that happens there, but there's now, unfortunately, the way that the system is now, and it is a little bit rigged, there's plenty of bad that also happens. And, and so not the vulture funds, not the Mercers. And look, sometimes you just get into a scam, like Goldman used to move aluminum around and then somehow wind up with like two cents per dollar in their pocket, but they actually weren't doing anything. And it was actually hurting consumers. That's pretty hard to discern. Yeah, And so just a little bit of caution there, but I'm not saying financial industry is super important and I, we need people to work in that, especially good, honest people. Yeah. Okay, great. This was great. Thank you so much. So I think we can all agree that 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 uh, banking institutions, financial institutions serve an important purpose. We have to keep commercial banks and investment banks separate to make sure that uh, mm-hmm. that we aren't playing with people's money. Um, and we have to keep politicians accountable and make sure that, and, and keep working to keep, to get Wall Street money and corporate money, not just Wall Street money, but all corporate money out of politics. And, 100% and, right. and have regulations that, 
that work that aren't just so that we could put a stamp that says regulated, but really there is no regulation happening um, so that so that we can our economy can grow and, and function. I love that summary. Awesome. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because I got a charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.